Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're looking at a topic that was inspired from somewhere thousands of miles from where most of you are likely listening. Just uh, about a week ago, my wife, uh, Dr. Sonia DeRose, and I returned from an invited trip to the Middle East. We were speaking in Lebanon and then in the United Arab Emirates, especially focused on lifestyle and health. We were really excited by the reception that we received in both of those places, but one of the topics that really energized me and energized us collectively was interest that we found in that part of the world in a topic that has deep roots throughout the entire world. The topic has to do with medical fasting. Maybe I should take the word medical off it uh, as we begin because Fasting has a long history throughout the world, not just because it has presumed medical benefits that we'll talk about today, but it has been valued across cultural and spiritual lines. Those of you who are tuning in because you have Native American roots, uh, traditional Native American communities often valued fasting. I think of uh, some of you that have the tradition of the vision quest or other perspectives where you will take a period of time and fast. Actually, from talking with many people throughout Indian country, I know that historically there were a variety of types of fasting that were practiced in Indian country. But um, we don't have to confine our discussions to Native Americans and their values historically. But again, look across the climate of the world. Like I mentioned, we were just in the Middle East a large number of people there of the Muslim faith. Many of you know of Ramadan, a special time of fasting in the Islamic world. Uh, Those of you that may come from a Christian, perhaps even a Catholic background, you might think of uh, Lent in association with the Easter season. Whether you're uh, from roots that hail back to Asia Hindu and Buddhist roots, fasting esteemed in those uh, cultures, whether you are individuals that resonate with things that uh, are right here on Native American soil, being a First Nation person here, whether you have European roots or Middle Eastern roots in uh, the heritage of the Bible, for example, uh, a lot of examples of individuals in biblical times fasting. Here's the point. I believe that when you look cross-culturally at practices throughout the world, you don't find practices pervasive like that unless there are some bona fide benefits from the practice. So when you see fasting being practiced throughout the world, you can be sure that there are significant benefits that have been reaped by societies and by individuals by decreasing caloric consumption. So Let's put fasting under that umbrella, decreasing caloric consumption. And we're going to look at the different types of fast on this broadcast. I've actually prepared a special handout 
you can pick up that handout. I know one of the places that we'll have it featured is at the Timeless Healing Insights website. That's www.timelesshealinginsights.org. You'll be able to find the fasting handout there. It will be associated uh, with a television program, at least a couple of programs that we may be featuring this handout in. But for right now, we're featuring it on American Indian and Alaska Native Living on the radio show. So uh, fasting is the focus. And this handout is going to go through some of the things that we're talking about. It's actually the outline for my presentation today. So if you want to dive into more information or if you want some great notes, timelesshealinginsights.org. Don't forget that www. in front of it. Some of the browsers are looking for that with the timelesshealinginsights.org website. But let's step back a little bit and give some perspective on fasting. Why have cultures fasted? We cannot remove spiritual discussions from the topic. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with that. But as I survey fasting practices throughout the world, there are spiritual reasons. I hear people talking about self-sacrifice, maybe devotion, mental clarity, uh, communion with their creator. There could be all kinds of reasons. But fasting has other associations, and we want to talk about those. Fasting has been used politically. Think about individuals throughout history who have used fasting as a form of nonviolent protest. But we want to hone in on the health reasons for fasting. You may have heard all kinds of things in the lay press and, and lay discussions. You may have heard people talking about resting their digestive system, maybe cleansing benefits, maybe belief in other specific remedial effects of fasting. But we want to focus in on the modern scientific rationale for fasting. Before we do that, I want to uh, remind you that we have not only the resource that I've mentioned, the free handout at the TimelessHealingInsights.org website, but I also want you to know that at that very same website, we have a free 30-day program. Some of you have heard us talk about it on this radio broadcast. TimelessHealingInsights.org features our 30 Days to Better Health free program. The reason I mention that in this context is in that program, we incorporate some of the forms of fasting that I'll be talking about on today's broadcast. So if you're looking to dive deeper, but you want someone to kind of walk you through it, that is a great place to go. 30 Days to Better Health, our free program there on the TimelessHealingInsights.org website. Well, as we speak about this whole topic, let's... Uh, kind of frame things, first of all, as to where we're going. I want you to realize if you're tuning in today and you have certain medical conditions, we're going to touch on things that can be helped, a variety of conditions that can be helped by a variety of types of fasting. Certain types of fasting may be more appropriate in certain medical conditions, and I'll explain what I'm speaking about. But among the disease states we plan to talk about in today's program, diabetes, especially type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure or hypertension, obesity, uh, if you're coming down with an illness, an impending acute illness, we'll talk about how fasting may help you in that situation. We'll talk about certain eating disorders like binge eating and how fasting may even play a role in that. We will also talk about autoimmune conditions. Maybe you have rheumatoid arthritis or lupus, uh, also known as systemic lupus erythematosus. You may have other inflammatory conditions like asthma or inflammatory bowel disease. 
the inflammatory bowel diseases would include things like Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. So if you have any of those conditions, we're going to talk about some things that likely at least are worth looking into as far as uh, potential things that you might be doing that could help your condition. If I were to give you another resource, one that I did not produce, and you want to get a broader view of fasting, especially with some of the spiritual connections, I want to recommend a book called Councils on Diet and Foods. This is a compilation of health counsel written over a span of some five decades by uh, an author you may have heard of, E.G. White, uh, a health advocate, prolific author, wrote from the middle 1800s to the early 1900s. Now, some of you might say, wait, 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 wait a minute. This is... uh, uh, like, you know, 100 years old or more, why would you be recommending that? Councils on Diet and Foods was a book that came across uh, my desk when I was actually a college student before I went into medicine. And I was, uh, it was a life-changing book. Practical instruction. What is so amazing to me about the book is secular authorities, even uh, people writing currently across cultural lines have looked at this book and they've said, In so many words, this is amazing. Uh, This is cutting-edge nutrition written over 100 years ago, keeping with the best science today. Councils on Diet and Foods by E.G. White. Again, Councils on Diet and Foods is a book that you may want to pick up. I will read some selections from it. But um, first of all, I'm reading from it to give you this broader context of fasting and the spiritual context. But I want you to see how balanced this book is, even when it's speaking about spiritual things. So some of you are wondering, wait, wait, spiritual, you know, what kind of perspective is this? I will be upfront with you. Some of the initial material does present from a Christian perspective, but a lot of the book does not have any of those connotations at all. It's just speaking about simple health principles. So if you're not a Christian or you're offended by Christianity, I would say don't let that keep you from the book. There's a Jewish author who's uh, extolled this book. I remember reading an Ivy League uh, professor uh, extolling the book, Councils on Diet and Foods. Don't get bogged down if there's a few details there that you would take issue with on the spiritual end. But let me give you just some of that spiritual perspective. And I think you'll see that um, the perspective is, at least from my perspective, (laughs) refreshing. Quotation from Councils on Diet and Foods. The true fasting, which should be recommended to all, is abstinence from every stimulating kind of food and the proper use of wholesome, simple food which God has provided in abundance. So on a spiritual level, the author, White, saw fasting as more of an attitude than a practice. Listen to this quote, The spirit of true fasting and prayer is the spirit which yields mind, heart, and will to God. What I like about this perspective is a lot of people, historically, they thought, you know, fasting was going to force God's hand, or they thought uh, if they could fast, they were better than other people. Uh, you see that in some spiritual traditions. No, the perspective here is if you're looking at fasting from a spiritual perspective, look at it as a tool to help you be more humble, to uh, help you work better with people, to help you be um, in harmony with the Creator, or however you want to uh, refer to that higher power that. Uh, Hopefully you recognize. I call that higher power God, and some people say, well, why do you even call it a higher power? Uh, is a, It's a personal God, and uh, I would not argue with that. I do believe in a personal God, but that is not the focus of the program. I'm trying to help you see that even though 
doesn't matter where you go, you're going to find spiritual connections with fasting practices. I, I've tried to lay that out for you. So whatever you read, if it's coming from this wealth of wisdom, cultural wisdom throughout the world, you're going to have some spiritual connections. You may read something that has Islamic connections with Ramadan or Buddhist or Hindu connections. What I'm just saying is, is look at the wisdom in some of these sources for what it is. Compare it with medical science. Another statement from Councils on Diet and Foods. Again, this is it's a spiritual statement, but I want you to think about it across spiritual lines. You can be an atheist or agnostic, and I think you can relate to this. Councils on Diet and Foods, page 188. Men need to think less about what they shall eat and drink of temporal food and much more in regard to the food from heaven that will give tone and vitality to the whole religious experience. You say, well, how would an atheist or an agnostic relate to that? I'm saying it's talking about values, right? Don't be so focused on what you're eating and drinking of temporal food. Think more about spiritual transcendent values. And I think anyone who is seriously minded, when we look at our world today, you could say, wow, um, I think that's wisdom. We are so focused on consumerism that uh, this would be especially valuable. So let's, with that background, kind of lay you know the spiritual discussions to rest, and let's move on to talk about, at least touch on, eight different types of fasts. Let me give you an overview where we're going. These are the eight types of fasts that I'm planning to cover in this program. The first one is eating less on a regular basis by whatever means. Okay, Now, that may not resonate with you as a type of fast, but that's one that we're going to look at. A second one, excluding specific foods. Third one, skipping supper. Fourth, no eating between meals. Fifth, very low-calorie diets. Sixth, juice fasts. Seven, total fasts, no caloric intake. And then eighth, what I call the leaf, stem, and flower fast. We're planning to touch on all of these in today's broadcast, and I really encourage you to stay by. If you can't listen to the whole program, definitely get the handout. It is available for you at the website www.timelesshealinginsights.org, www.timelesshealinginsights.org. We're going to be back with more as far as today's broadcast, practical things that can help you with your health, insights into fasting. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We'll be back with more right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at AIANL.org. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, AIANL.org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong. We are resilient. And we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA Service Center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're speaking about fasting, especially the medical benefits of fasting and I've taken some time in the first portion of this show to lay out where we're headed in the program, and we want to move into now speaking about some specific types of fasts. If you're just joining us, we're offering a free handout that walks you through much of this material. It is available for free at www.timelesshealinginsights.org. Timelesshealinginsights.org is the place you want to go for the free fasting handout. So let's talk about this first type of fast. And this is one that that often surprises people when I say we're talking about a fast where you eat less on a regular basis. And that's by whatever means. Now, why would I make um, such a regimen fall under the heading of fasting? It's really important. So what we know from the medical research is that food restriction or caloric restriction increases not only the average lifespan, but the maximal lifespan of creatures throughout planet Earth. This has been broadly studied in animal models. And what's really interesting is as you look at caloric intake, well, let me describe it this way. I'll often talk about this when I'm speaking to an audience, and I did this in the Middle East recently when this uh, topic resonated so much with my audience. I asked them this question. If you are raising some animals and you restrict their caloric intake by 20%, let's say you're raising rats or mice, okay? How much longer will those rats or mice live? And the answer is, on average, about 20% longer. And I said, okay, if you restrict their calories 30%, how much longer will they live? And you guessed it, the correct answer is 30%. 
But then I love to ask this question, what happens if you reduce their caloric intake 99.9%? They will not live 99.9% longer. They will die of starvation uh, long before that. So here's my point, though. It seems that mammalian organisms have a capacity to process so many calories and then they die. Now, yes, there's many other variables, but the point is decreasing caloric intake, food restriction, can actually be a powerful longevity-enhancing practice. Now, here's what is especially fascinating. Our brains actually do best if we periodically withhold calories from our brain. Now, a lot of people say, wait, this is crazy. I heard that glucose is the primary fuel for our brain. Why would we want to restrict calories? In fact, I can remember as a student, I had one well-meaning teacher who would offer us candy to keep the glucose levels up in our brain. Now, maybe that was helpful if kids weren't eating and they were hypoglycemic. But um, what's interesting long-term is if you restrict your caloric intake, it boosts levels of a compound called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. That's abbreviated BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. It's a compound that has far-reaching brain health benefits. It has been connected with less depression. It has been shown to help people with certain addictive behaviors if you have higher levels of this compound. It has uh, protective effects when it comes to certain types of stroke and neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. So BDNF is something that we want more of. And what do you think the research shows? The research shows that decreasing food intake has been shown to improve BDNF levels. Now, here's something else that's really interesting that, uh, that we have seen in a number of studies, and that is if you decrease caloric intake, it actually tends to improve immune function against diseases like cancer and also decreases allergic responses. Now, this is really interesting because many times when you talk about people, oh, enhancing the immune system. Well, some of us are a bit worried about that. If you ramp up your immune system, you may ramp up allergies. But caloric restriction, we're talking in the range of 25 to 40% in some of the, the animal models, actually uh, has immune enhancement benefits against things like cancer, at the same time helping decrease allergies. So the message should be coming through that if we can eat less and still presumably maintain our weight, we're better off. Now, here's this interesting thing about fasting and immunity, especially if we're talking about uh, marked fasting. And we're going to touch on this in a little bit of detail because I mentioned we're talking about a number of fasts today. And this type of fast, again, it's decreasing caloric intake, but it may be more profound if you feel like you're coming down with an illness. Let me read you something from a book that I quoted earlier, Councils on Diet and Foods. If you did not join me uh, at the top of the hour when this show began, Councils on Diet and Foods is a book by the uh, late author E.G. White, prolific author, a health advocate who lived in the 1800s and into the early 1900s. This book, Councils on Diet and Foods, has been heralded by many people across the spiritual and scientific spectrum as being just an amazing cutting-edge book even today. Let me read some statements about fasting and immunity from this book. Here's the quote. Intemperate eating is often the cause of sickness 
and what nature most needs is to be relieved of the undue burden that has been placed upon her. In many cases of sickness, the very best remedy is for the patient to fast for a meal or two, that the overworked organs of digestion may have an opportunity to rest. Continuing, a fruit diet for a few days has brought great relief to brain workers. Many times a short period of entire abstinence from food, followed by simple moderate eating, has led to recovery through nature's own recuperative effort. An abstemious diet for a month or two would convince many sufferers that the path of self-denial is the path to health. I read that to you because, yes, this abstemious diet, this uh, less stimulating diet, we've heard other synonyms for it, this idea of avoiding all these rich foods, as some people are using the terminology, more of a whole foods, plant-based diet. What does that look like? Basically, it looks like eating a lot of those foods, if you're native, uh, what your ancestors ate here in North America, a lot of plant foods. Now, let me continue. Councils on Diet and Foods. This is page 189. It's a fascinating statement. There are some who would be benefited more by abstinence from food for a day or two every week than by any amount of treatment or medical advice. To fast one day a week would be of incalculable benefit to them. We're going to talk more about specific types of fast because you're hearing here you know, about total fasting at least on a, on a single day or a couple days uh, out of a week basis. But uh, right now I'm trying to focus our minds on just eating less, just avoiding overeating. It would be huge if we would do that as a culture. In fact, if you look at data, actually right here from the United States, at uh, the estimates of how many people die from overindulgence, it is in the realm of hundreds of thousands, okay, several hundred thousand um, so it's amazing when you look at that data. I haven't looked at it in a while, but last time I did, I think it was somewhere around 300,000 people were the estimates that are dying from overabundance, from overeating, and all the things that go along with that. So eating less, however you do it, is a form of fasting, and I heartily recommend it. By the way, if you can just drop your weight a little bit and you have prediabetes, you will decrease your risk of going on to full-blown diabetes. If you can just drop your weight a little bit, your blood pressure will come down. It may save you from going on another or your first blood pressure medication. So let's go to our next type of fast, and this is excluding specific foods. You say, why would we want to do that? Why would we want to just X things out? Can't we just eat everything in moderation? Well, there's two different concepts that are in tension. One of those concepts uh, we talk about today as moderation, and you've no doubt heard people say moderation in all things. I don't think that's as powerful a concept as a old concept that uh, E.G. White and other contemporaries back then would use. They would use the term temperance. When they used the term temperance, they were speaking about moderation in anything that was good. But the concept of temperance also included total abstinence from everything that was harmful. And this is an important part of the equation because uh, there are many people, I as a physician, have had to help people get off of things that some people would say, well, hey, I enjoy a little glass of wine occasionally. Well, 
we're not going to get into the discussion about moderate drinking on this program, but let me tell you it this way. I have patients that cannot, absolutely cannot have a little glass of wine. They're alcoholics. And I know some of you say, well, I belong to a school of thought that alcoholics can drink a little bit. Look into that because I'll tell you, I've seen a whole lot of uh, horror stories that have come from people who were addicted to a substance who thought they could go back to occasional use. So we're talking about leaving certain things completely off your program. Sometimes it is in the realm of addictions that we'll be talking about that, but other times it's in other realms, and we're going to talk about those things in some detail when we come back to our discussion about fasting. I'm Dr. David DeRose. I'm your host. I'm walking you through a free handout that's available for you at one of our sister websites, www.timelesshealinginsights.org. If you go there, you'll be able to pick up a copy of the fasting handout. We're talking about practical things that can make a difference for you. A lot more to come in this program on that very subject. We'll be back right after these important messages. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Unlike other health concerns, mental illness is not always easy to see. Depression won't show up on an eye chart, and you can't measure it on your bathroom scale. Sorting out a mental health concern is not something to attempt on your own. You won't find a bipolar disorder by looking at a thermometer. Like many other health conditions, help for mental illness takes professional diagnosis and treatment. Anxiety won't just go away under a stick-on bandage. So the sooner you seek treatment, the better. If you or a loved one has a mental health concern, don't go it alone. Find out what to do. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Learn more at samhsa.gov support. That's S-A-M-H-S-A slash support. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. 
Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We are speaking about a very, very important topic, and I tell you that because I have seen so many people over the years as a physician who would be benefited by putting into practice practical aspects of fasting. If you were with us at the top of the hour, I shared how my wife, also a physician, Dr. Sonia DeRose, and myself were recently in the Middle East. One of the topics that we were lecturing on that generated a lot of interest was the topic of fasting. And we have prepared a special handout that we're making available to you free of charge at our website, TimelessHealingInsights.org. If you have trouble uh, accessing that website, make sure you stick the dot in front of the website, www.TimelessHealingInsights.org, and uh, that will uh, get you where you want to be for the free handout. We are speaking now about fasting from specific foods. In the handout, I say fasting from challenging foods. These are foods that might challenge you, substances might challenge you. Maybe you do have a full-blown addiction. But I will tell you that patients of mine over the years, many of them have identified foods that were undermining their health. Let me give you some things on that list. And I'm just telling you what patients have told me. Chocolate. Chips, you know, potato chips, corn chips, various desserts, ice cream, sugar in general, soft drinks. You get the picture? I'm sharing this with you because I have seen patients go on a fast from these. I think of a patient I had some years ago, big guy. He determined he was going to go on a total fast from all his soft drinks. By the time I saw him again, I think he'd lost like 60 pounds So the point is, there are many things that you might say, well, are you saying no one can ever drink a a soft drink? That's not my message today. But what I'm saying is when we look at this very specific area of fasting from challenging foods, I'm challenging you to identify what foods are challenging you, what beverages are challenging you, and consider whether you can walk away from them because uh, some of these things are undermining your resolve. In my experience, a good percentage of people that leave off dairy completely have some improvements in their allergies. Those of you in Indian country, many of you from throughout the world, if you're listening from other places in the world and you're not from Northern European stock, I think you're aware that Northern Europeans tend to keep their ability to digest milk to make an enzyme called lactase uh, longer than a lot of other populations. So for many of you, you could be experiencing digestive upset because of your use of dairy. So what I'm getting at here is challenging foods could be a variety of things. You might just say, hey, I've got a lot of allergies, a lot of congestion. I'm going to try for three or four weeks totally avoiding the dairy. I'm going to read every label. I'm not going to have any. For someone else, it might be, you know, I feel like I've got an addictive relationship with ice cream. Someone else is listening and say, hey, I'm a psychologist. You can't be addicted to ice cream. Well, that's another discussion for another time. But if you feel you have an addictive relationship with something, you can't control your consumption. What I have found in my experience with most patients, that the happiest way to go, the best way to go for their health is just to leave it off. Just say, I'm going to make a clean break with that and move forward. So whatever it is, I'm just challenging you right now. Try to identify some things that may be undermining your 
health and make a clean break with them. Now, having said all this, I am guardedly leaving it in your charge to make that decision as to what is undermining your health because I find more and more people today are villainizing carbohydrates. They're saying they're the enemy. I've got to get rid of all the carbs from my diet. Let me tell you, I think that's a mistake. So some of you listening may be big advocates of a keto diet. You may have gotten great benefits uh, from your perspective on it. And I will not argue with the fact that I have seen patients lose weight. Uh, There is an appetite curbing effect with ketogenic diets. We have prescribed them for people with certain forms of seizures because ketogenic diets can dampen down seizure activity in the brain. But here's the problems, okay? If you get on a really low-carbohydrate diet, it predisposes to lower levels in the brain of certain neurotransmitters. Basically, in order to make things like serotonin and dopamine, you need to get the raw materials, the building blocks, which we call amino acids, into the brain. These are things like tyrosine and tryptophan. When you're on a high-protein diet, low-carb diet, you cannot move tryptophan and tyrosine into your brain effectively, or let's put it this way, optimally. If you want optimal levels of these neurotransmitters in your brain, what the research shows is you need to be more liberal with your carbohydrate intake. That doesn't mean, I'm not telling you to eat chocolate and ice cream and, and refined uh, uh, you know, white rice and, and white bread, but you eat these whole plant foods. And you can include typically some root vegetables that are high in carbohydrates. Beans are a powerhouse nutritionally. They are rich in complex carbohydrate. So here's the other problem, though, with ketogenic diets. So I'm trying to help you see low carb is not the solution. Ketogenic diets typically tend to be high in saturated fat. Now, you can plan more of a a, a plant-based ketogenic diet that I would be more comfortable with. But these... uh, Diets that uh, rely heavily on animal products that are ketogenic, you're eating a lot of saturated fat typically, that is going to worsen what we call insulin resistance in your body. Those saturated fats become incorporated into your cell membranes, they make the cells stiffer, and they affect how communication happens in your body, cell-to-cell communication, neurotransmitters, We call cytokines, other things, insulin. How these transmitter molecules interact with your cell membranes, the stiffer those membranes, the more saturated fat, the more challenges you will have. So I'm discouraging you from uh, getting too enthusiastic for any length of time with ketogenic diets. There are a number of other concerns with them. If you're on a ketogenic diet, you'll find that your markers suggesting higher stress on the kidneys go up. C-reactive protein, which is an inflammatory marker connected with heart disease risk, tends to rise. So we definitely have concerns. Now, talking about excluding specific foods, I'm going to segue to something that does involve specific foods, but also extends the dialogue more broadly. Remember, we're speaking on this show about various types of fasts and very low-calorie diets, juice fasts, total fasts. We're going to bridge a number of these with a concept called the elimination diet. Now, you'll have information in the handout about where to dive more into my protocol for an elimination diet, but I'm just going to tell you now, if some of you 
Forget how to get the handout. It's on another of our sister websites. So some of you know, uh, American Indian and Alaska Native Living has its own website, A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G, American Indian, Alaska Native Living. It's the abbreviation dot O-R-G. And you can pick up our magazine there. You can listen to our archived radio shows. But because I represent other programs beside the radio broadcast and the magazine, a couple of those other sister websites, Timeless Healing Insights and then Compass Health at compasshealth.net are places where I have had resources up for many years. Compasshealth.net in our resource section has a free handout on elimination diets. It is under a section on help for hives. You know, it's a skin rash, typically an allergic skin rash. So that's where we have the material. And again, if you get the free handout, it spells this all out. But I want to walk you through this idea of an elimination diet. A lot of people hear elimination diet and they think, oh, we're just kind of dropping, you know, one thing off at a time. No, it's the opposite. An elimination diet, the, the most strict elimination diet, starts with a total fast, a distilled water-only fast. And what you're doing, maybe you have ulcerative colitis, maybe uh, inflammatory bowel disease, maybe rheumatoid arthritis. We've used elimination diets. I've used that with many patients over the years. And you put them on these elimination diets, it rapidly drops inflammation in the body. And it's also removing every food substance. Some of those food substances we find are triggers for certain people. could be a migraine headache trigger. And uh, an elimination diet may help you nail down the food that's triggering your migraine headaches or the food that is triggering your hives, your skin rash. That's why I have it in that section. So you say, well, how do you do an elimination diet? Again, total fast is one way that it started, but I don't recommend that for anyone unless they're working with a physician. A total fast actually can be dangerous, especially if you're on certain medications for your blood pressure, for fluid excess, for blood sugar. You can get into real problems real quick. So one of the forms of modified fast that we've typically used with the autoimmune elimination diet is just eating something that's hypoallergenic. One of the classic things that has been used is just eating pears and rice or millet. Uh, pears and millet is kind of one of the classic ones. Millet is a grain that most people are not allergic to. So pears and millet, you might eat that for several days. If you've got bad arthritis and your joints are feeling better, you're saying, wait a minute, this is uh, you know something that's looking promising. Maybe you have inflammatory bowel disease and you've been having blood in your stools and the bleeding goes away and you're feeling better. This would indicate you're responding to the elimination diet and then what we do is we gradually add things back. My rule of thumb is adding only one food back every couple days. And we add foods back in a certain sequence. Certain foods tend to be more problematic, you know, across the population base than others. So we add things back in that tend to be more hypoallergenic. And again, I'm not going to go through all the details on today's show, but we have that information for you in the free handout again at TimelessHealingInsights.org. Let me make a note of something else, too. When you're adding foods back, things that we typically don't add back early either because of their connections with inflammation and or allergy would be uh, nutritional yeasts, uh, MSG, other high-sodium foods, 
often we tend to exclude those as well. Couple of other things, couple of other footnotes. Even if you're on a fasting regimen like an elimination diet, sometimes we will add some additional good fat sources like omega-3 fats. My favorite omega-3 fat is flaxseed oil. It is fairly readily available. I recommend that people, uh, if they're going to supplement with flaxseed oil, they buy the liquid, make sure that it is always refrigerated or stored in the freezer. It can go rancid very quickly. If the flaxseed oil tastes like fish, it is going rancid. Another uh, supplemental fatty acid that we sometimes use is something called gamma-linolenic acid, also known as GLA. This also has anti-inflammatory properties. And then some herbs that we sometimes recommend in addition to the elimination diet. Turmeric, ginger, and boswellia, all uh, with anti-inflammatory properties. So a lot more information about uh, special uh, elimination diet approaches. Uh, You'll find that in the handout, available to you free at TimelessHealingInsights.org. We're going to come back and try to touch on some of the uh, final types of fasts that I mentioned at the beginning of the show. You don't want to miss it because I've got some really important information that may help you just where you need it the most. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We'll be back with our final segment right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our final segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're speaking about fasting. I'm walking you through a free handout. If you've uh, been with us from the top of the hour, you've heard me mention the website multiple times, but I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to get this free handout, uh, multiple pages, walking you through types of fasts, things that you can do to potentially improve your health through actually eating less. I love the topic because, you know, many times today, even physicians and experts that are talking about natural therapies, there's some big price tag, and you got to buy all these supplements, you got to do X, Y, or Z, come to this program. Fasting is something, if you're eating less, you're going to be saving money, okay? So it's really exciting because uh, no one's getting rich on uh, on fasting regimens, especially when we give the program out in a free handout. So that is available at TimelessHealingInsights.org. Don't forget, if you're having problems, put www. in front of it, www.TimelessHealingInsights.org. Let me tell you now about a special kind of fast that has been getting a lot of increased publicity. I mentioned earlier in the show a book called Councils on Diet and Foods. Heartily recommend that book, author E.G. White. Amazing insights into health. Uh, Just amazing. Let me read a statement, again, written over 100 years ago. In most cases, two meals a day are preferable to three. Supper, when taken at an early hour, interferes with the digestion of the previous meal. When taken later, it is not itself digested before bedtime. Thus, the stomach fails of securing proper rest. The sleep is disturbed. The brain and nerves are wearied. The appetite for breakfast is impaired. The whole system is unrefreshed and is unready for the day's duties. Now, some people think, oh, well, this is really taking things to an extreme. This couldn't be that important, really? This is a fascinating topic. I've got a number of other statements uh, from the book in the free handout. But eating fewer times a day is powerful. I want to tell you about a few things that are on the the cusp of this, and it it relates to also not eating between meals. Uh, This is something else that, that White advocated. There is a normal physiologic system in your body. It's called the migrating motor complex, abbreviated MMC. It is a motility pattern in your stomach and small intestine that only occurs during fasting. So White was talking about you're interfering with what the stomach needs to be healthy. This is cutting-edge stuff, okay? So the MMC, migrating motor complex, often underestimated. I tell uh, my audiences, I used to teach, uh, I've taught on a couple of college campuses, and uh, on one of those uh, college campuses, I was a, a nutrition teacher, and I was disturbed by the fact that our nutrition textbooks spoke so little about this important migrating motor complex. It is involved in what the researchers call housekeeping functions. They're trying to describe it for lay people. It's restoring the health of the digestive system after all the wear and tear of the day. One of the most fascinating things about the MMC that that intrigues me is something called duodenal retroperistalsis. What is so fascinating about this is when you fast, and it probably takes at least five hours during waking hours. This doesn't count when you're asleep. This doesn't seem to happen effectively if you're sleeping. But if you fast for over five hours during the day, this uh, kicks in, 
and it brings bicarbonate, an acid-buffering natural compound, into your stomach. So if you're wondering why you're having digestive problems, it may have to do with your frequent meal eating. Anyway, just something to consider. I know historically we've said, oh, keep some food in your stomach. It buffers the acid. But there's some downsides to that approach as well. And, uh, of course, I'm not advising you to uh, disregard your health care provider's advice, but definitely explore this concept of the migrating motor complex. So let me talk a little bit more about why eating fewer times per day and not eating between meals may be especially valuable. The two-meal-a-day program has been looked at in athletic research. Years ago, I was surprised to find researchers looking at this. They were comparing individuals who were eating seven times a day with those eating twice per day. They were both eating one of these higher-carb diets, and they were doing that because they were trying to build glycogen. This is a storage form of energy that endurance athletes need. So you don't find any endurance athletes going on keto diets, okay? I've never run into them. If you're one of them, let me know. Reach out through one of my websites and tell me how this is uh, you know, helping your performance because this is totally contrary to what I've seen in the athletic literature. So here's the interesting thing. If you eat multiple times per day, same diet, you make poorer glycogen stores than if you're eating fewer times per day. Now, some people say, well, why would that be? The way I like to think about it, whether the body is processing this way or programmed this way or not, if you're not feeding the body at close intervals, the body says, listen, I've got to build more reserves. I've got to make more glycogen. And so this ends up being an asset for you if you're doing endurance activities. So uh, keep that in mind. Let me tell you some other benefits. If you... um, Go to that two-meal-a-day program. You say, well, what does that look like? I recommend you eat within several hours of getting up. My personal routine, I'm on this regimen. I have been on it for over 30 years. Uh, I will get up. I have some time for spiritual reflection and things. Then I do some physical activity, and then I eat my breakfast. So it's maybe a couple hours uh, after I've, uh, I've gotten up. And then I wait at least five hours from the time I finish breakfast till I have my midday meal, And that is the last time I eat for the day. What we find is if you eat a large meal in the evening, that, if you have diabetes, tends to worsen your blood sugar in the morning. Even if you don't have diabetes, it is associated with weight gain. So if you're trying to trim down, you really want to decrease the calories you consume later in the day. The two-meal-a-day approach is an excellent way to do that. By the way, if you're just eating twice a day, you're going to spend less time in the kitchen likely less time in food preparation, and you will have more time to do things like balancing other aspects of your lifestyle, maybe getting that exercise in that has been slipping off the radar screen. Because of our limited time, I want to move to um, the concept of total fasts. Total fasts can be extremely powerful, but they are potentially dangerous. Uh, During a total fast, the sympathetic nervous system tone drops, This is actually usually good. Uh, The sympathetic nervous system is involved in stress. It raises blood pressure, raises blood sugar. So in medically supervised settings, I've put many people on supervised fasts. We've seen their blood pressure, their blood sugar improve dramatically. Uh, Sodium output increases. It helps people to get rid of excess fluid. So a lot of powerful things happen. But if you're on medications for fluid retention, if you have congestive heart failure, if you're on diabetic medications, if you're on medicines for high blood pressure, 
All of these things can cause problems, actually, if you go on a total fast. So I do not recommend total fasts if you're on any medications at all unless you clear that with your prescribing physician, okay? So that is my recommendation for you. Let me mention, as we conclude, a safer fast. I call it the leaf, stem, and flower fast. Many of you are aware of my book, The Methuselah Factor. If you have read that book, you know that's one of the things we recommend as a fasting strategy. It's a fast where you can eat all you want, and you're still dramatically decreasing your caloric consumption, doing remarkable things often for your diabetes, your blood pressure, your weight. You say, wait a minute, how can I eat all that I want? Well, you can eat all you want of any leaf, stem, or flower vegetable. Let me read you something from my book, The Methuselah Factor. If you're familiar with that book, as you go through the book, the last 30 chapters are 30 daily challenges, things that we're challenging people to do for a one-month program. You don't need to buy the book to get all those challenges. Of course, to get them in the full detail, you need the book. But we've put these challenges, essentially the same ones, in our free 30-day lifestyle program that is also available at, you guessed it, www.timelesshealinginsights.org. So if you go to that website, you can sign up for the free 30-day program. This is what you'll find is an element of the program from the Methuselah Factor book. It's the same program. Remember the book and the online program? Listen to this challenge. Consider fasting one day per week, eating only leaf, stem, and flower vegetables. And then there's a footnote, and I say, if you have any medical conditions or are taking prescription drugs, I generally recommend checking with your health care provider before going on any kind of fast. So even, yes, this one that's, that's safer because it still represents a marked change in electrolyte exposure, which could be good or bad, depending on what medications you might be on. The leaf stem and flower vegetable fast. Get the picture. Kale, collards, broccoli, cauliflower, asparagus, celery, anything that is a leaf, a stem, or a flower, you can eat as much of those as you want. You can juice them if you want. You can steam them. You can boil them. You can eat them raw. And so this is just a real powerful way. It's, it's, it's great for people that have digestive issues where they need to be eating something. They can't just fast completely. Uh, it has a very low glycemic index. So I really recommend you consider that, again, with the caveat if you're on medications. Well, we do have to step away. Our time has slipped away, as always, on this broadcast. Remember to get the free handout, the place to go, www.timelesshealinginsights.org. Well, for all of us at American Indian and Alaska Native Living, as always, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.